You're listening to What's at Stake. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, a partner here at Penta. And we're going to bring you something a little bit different this week. Our friends over at Markets Policy Partners, who many of you will, will recognize from our weekly Macrocast show, had a great conversation the other day uh, taking a look at the financial markets and the economy with some predictions for 2023. As we are getting to the end of January, the end of predictions, we thought we would bring you this episode and get a little bit of their insights on what to expect both in the markets and in the economy for the rest of the year. We'll be back next week with a brand new episodes of What's at Stake, but hope you enjoy the show. 2023, we think, is going to be a, uh, in some ways, sort of the the continued legacy of 2022. We've been using this analogy of a hurricane, whereas 2022, the markets were buffeted by the winds and uh, and rain of high inflation and uh, tightening central banks across the globe, uh, much uh, you know abrupt and uh, and and steeply tighter uh, monetary conditions really uh, it created a very challenging and, and tumultuous environment for risk assets last year. And uh, we think that we're passing, that this storm is kind of passing over <laughs> the investment community and we're in something of the eye right now. We think that we're the first quarter of 2023 will represent you know, a period of placidity uh, where you have some of the positive uh, aspects and positive dynamics sort of coming to the fore, but really the storm is only halfway over. And uh, and we're concerned that uh, through the, the middle to the second half of this year, the lagged effects of the tightening that, uh, that occurred through 2022, the lagged effects of the dollar spike uh, and the persistently and stubbornly uh, restrictive monetary conditions that the Fed and other global central banks are going to continue imposing upon markets with very scant uh, possibility of muscular fiscal support alongside it is going to create uh, that sort of second half of the storm uh, in, uh, in in 20, the back half of 2023, which is going to be focused on uh, the, the themes of 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 low uh, of low growth recessionary conditions around the globe, maybe not a super deep recession, but a a lengthy one with uh, with a, a very little prospect, as I said, of uh, of fiscal or monetary support. So uh, so talking about you know what we what we see for early this year, first quarter, as I mentioned, our eye of the storm kind of thesis uh, is really predicated on the idea that price pressures around the world. Are waning. It's it's hard to find uh, evidence that uh, that things are reaccelerating. Whether you're looking at uh, commodity prices, whether you're looking at uh, the the CPI data, whether you're looking at uh, at uh, tips, break evens, market based gauges of inflation expectations, all of that are are pointing downward, and uh, and we think that that is commensurate with a uh, basically a pretty rapid cooling. In uh, in price pressures, not just in the U.S., you can see it in Europe, you can see it in China, and uh, and other major markets around the globe. Uh, at this point, you know, central banks are still uh, very sounding, very hawkish, uh, but you know, some of them are a little more nimble than others, and you're getting this, uh, you know, the the tapering off and uh, and a at least a slowdown in the pace of tightening. We think that the uh, the tightening cycles are almost at their apex here. Uh, even uh, you know, despite the Fed's sort of hawkish intonations, there's a lot of there's maybe a little bit of theater in there. There's a little bit of maybe overstatement in there for effect, uh, trying to win their uh, you know <laughs> keep markets on their toes, win their uh, uh, their credibility back. 
but we think that ultimately markets are going to look at what they do, not what they say. And we think that the, the tightening cycles are tapering off here in early 2023. Um, activity around the world right now is showing signs of weakness, but we think that this period right now, this, uh, this, this momentary calm will be, you know, you're, there's still pockets of resilience and there's still a lot of hope that maybe, maybe we can avoid a recession. Um, China's stimulating and that's part of the global, uh, the positive story for the global economy. China's coming out of this COVID uh, zero. Obviously, there's an exit wave. But on the other side of that, there's expectation that the economy will pick up uh, and provide a boost to the to, to global growth. Um, and so nobody is quite sure that everybody thinks a recession's base case, uh, but there's still hope. And and we think that this uh, this kind of time frame will uh, will feature you know continued hopes for uh, for a soft landing or maybe even no no global recession. OPEC hasn't doubled down on its uh on its uh you know tightening of uh, of supplies and so oil prices are, are half of what they were in uh at their peaks in 2022. US policy uncertainty it's elevated right now but you know the debt ceiling issue is down the road it's not first quarter and uh and you know there's there's it's pretty clear that the finely divided Congress isn't going to get any legislation done. Um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is uh, as bloody and terrible as it is. Uh, it seems to be very much in a stalemate and hasn't escalated recently. The uh, The weather patterns have helped uh, dull the effect of Putin's uh, energy blackmail on Europe and the rest of the world. And uh, and the crisis in the crypto markets, I don't know if it's blown over. Our expectation, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And there are probably more shoes to drop. Uh, but uh, but it hasn't metastasized into a major issue for the rest of the global financial market. So we think, with all that, all those positives uh, in in play, we think that it's a it's a decent environment in the first quarter for uh, you know for markets to you know tread water to go up to you know whether it's uh, whether you get some outperformance in China. We'll talk about some of that, but we think this is a period of placidity when uh, when positives come to the fore, uh, but that uh, later in the year. When growth really begins to come down, take a bite out of earnings, uh, and uh, and the recession uh, materializes without really much hope of uh, of um, any countermeasures on the policy space globally, uh, that uh, that markets are are risking a, another leg down. So I think you know central to uh, to this view is our is our view on the Fed. Um, we kick it over to my colleague Brendan. Uh, to talk about our Fed views and and what we're what we're thinking about uh, how the Fed is interacting with the the macro and uh, and and how that might uh, translate into other global central banks following their lead. Right. So lately, the the, the Fed has certainly maintained that hawkish um, tone, uh, especially you know um, this week in, in now that they're back at work uh, and giving speeches again. Uh, everybody that has addressed monetary policy has basically said, you know, we think that the the, the uh, Fed funds rate should be above five percent, and then we should hold it there for for a long period of time. Um, we we think that they, they're going to try to stick to the metal as much as possible, but in the end, the data just won't warrant that. Uh, both the inflation numbers are going to come down quicker than their uh, forecasts. Um, the revised forecast uh, in December will um, will justify, and also that the growth uh, prospects for the economy both here and abroad are probably weaker than they had anticipated. Although the labor market is likely to to stay, you know, fairly tight, but that's much more of a demographic issue than it is um, anything that has to do with um, immediate tightening that's going to, to, to raise the unemployment rate. So we think that the Fed, by their next meeting at the end of um, 
end of July, the first day in February, you know, we'll have that scenario where they can then slow down to a, a 25 basis point hike. Uh, and we'll see, you know, how, how high they end up getting there. Um, but I think th their odds of being able to actually hold at that level are much greater if, if they show restraint now and, and don't keep over tightening. Yeah. And, uh, and that the, if the fed is, is onto 25 and maybe a last kiss goodbye, sort of, uh, of, uh, the mid March at the, at the mid March meeting to get up to, uh, to get up to 5%. Uh, this is, you know, this is, a. Uh, it's still the very end of the tightening cycle here. We think that other central banks will follow suit. Um, and, uh, and that's going to be at least a near-term positive, but, but the lesson from the Volcker years and, uh, chair Powell has said it again and again, if there's one lesson to take, it's not really where the, the terminal rate is. Uh, Volcker says much more to monetary policymakers about, uh, about the, you know, the stick to itiveness uh, and the lesson that they take from the Volcker years is don't ease too early. And so we we expect that the bar will be incredibly high uh, for uh, for the Fed to be cutting rates in the back half of this year. And uh, and we think that the disconnect between where Fed fund futures are and the Fed uh, and the Fed expectations, the Fed's stubborn uh, adherence to tight monetary conditions is where uh, the biggest gulf uh, in the markets is and, and a source of real turmoil. So just to uh, segue on to a couple of other topics, uh, we've talked about China, the uh, the COVID, uh, COVID, the end of COVID zero, obviously tantalizing for financial markets, the expectation that they're going to get through this, uh, this awful period of the exit wave. And then on the other side of it, they're going to be met with, uh, you know, increased stimulus and more openness and that uh, sort of thing. We think that that is, uh, you know, that story has been priced in pretty rapidly <laughs> into uh, mainland assets. Our medium term view, you know, this is a, a you know, a, our view on Chinese uh, on Chinese stocks uh, over the past few years has been, you know, you can rent a rally, but you don't want to hold. These are not buy and hold yeah. assets. Um, and uh, and I think that, you know, the idea that uh, that Beijing has sort of changed its stripes on the tech uh, sector. And, uh, you know, these these are you know these are variations on a theme uh, but broadly speaking we don't think that the uh, that the chi chinese assets are a good long term uh, investment we think that the you know the ingrained skepticism of the private sector is just going to keep a lid on these things and uh, and that the stimulus that china is uh, is engaging in is a lot of you know a lot more uh, in terms of uh, you know communications rather than uh, rather than real money, you know we've seen again and again the you know the lack of credit being able to keep up with uh, uh, Beijing's uh, expectations, and uh, we've got another big uh, credit you know credit data this week, um, and uh, it's so it's not clear that that you know China is going to be coming roaring out of this uh, this this. Um, economic trough that it's in. Oil prices, I think, are 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 validating that cautiousness. You know, whereas uh, Hong Kong stocks are running, you know, you'd expect to see oil prices really ripping here. If uh, if uh, you know, it was widely accepted that China was going to be back in the uh, in the in the business of of high growth uh, through the back half of this year and into next, uh, it's not translating in uh, in that way into oil prices. We think that. The the floor is probably in though you know the Biden administration has been a little bit coy about where they're going to buy but under underneath eighty um, they've declined to do so to fill up the strategic petroleum reserve um, but we think that that's coming and uh, and we think that the uh, that eighty for Brent is uh, is pretty close to a line in the sand and uh, but but uh, you know we we think that there's you know 
upside in this uh, in this eye of the storm here in the first quarter uh, will be given back potentially as uh, as as growth gets worse around the world. Uh, when it comes to cryptos and stable coins, uh, back to uh, back to Brendan on that. So we we think that the, the fallout still hasn't happened on the individual company side. Uh, it, the, a lot of these companies are so interconnected that I think that there's still a lot more wash out there. But that's I think contained to the the, the crypto community. From the regulation side, I, I think that the, the regulators that be the CFTC and SEC are pretty happy with what's going on, and they would like to just kind of see it wash out before they they take you know serious steps to regulate the industry. On the on the Capitol Hill side, I, yeah, I think the, the fact that it took us 15 tries to get a, a speaker of the House shows you that it's very unlikely that we're going to have any significant uh, legislation passed. You know, just in general, let alone something as as um, you know controversial as regulating uh, the crypto industry. And yeah, like a comprehensive crypto bill. Trying yeah, to which I mean, would that. would have been difficult. You know, with a, a super majority of of one party. Uh, just because the the it, 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 while we say crypto, it is a very diverse uh, you know land. Um, but the the stable coins is where we are likely to see continued regulation. Um, where that that regulation actually a little less um, crypto regulation and more kind of like money mark right regulation. If because in the end it is a financial product that says there's you know one dollar for every one you know coin. So um, that legislation is in. I mean, not uh, that regulation is in process and it will continue. I think we'll probably see some clarification uh, in 2023 on that front. Yeah, and last uh, and and speaking of Capitol Hill political uncertainty, uh, we mentioned in our intro the the debt limit. It it's you know the disorder that we've seen is very disquieting. Um, it uh, it sort of foreshadows a potentially you know tumultuous and and uh, disastrous potentially disastrous fight over the over the debt ceiling. But uh, you know there are some there are some ways around it, and uh, one of them being the uh, the discharge petition, which is arcane and complex, um, but it only requires essentially a majority. The speaker doesn't even have to support it. Um, and uh, and it's a you know there there are already moderate Republicans I think that uh, that are looking at this issue and they just don't want any part of it. So uh, and it, as 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 uh, as crazy as the as the speaker uh, the speaker election and some of the early uh, the early showing of the GOP House Caucus, they're not you know uniformly uh, wedded to a uh, to a playing chicken over the uh, over the debt ceiling. There are certainly uh, some moderates, uh, particularly in the northeast states. Uh, that might that and the Democrats don't have to peel off too many to get something like that done. Right. It's just very difficult to lead with a, a five person majority. I mean, you can always peel off five, six people on, on any vote, but let alone, you know, defaulting on our debt where I mean, I, I think the, the, the speaker election showed you that, that there is, you know, 15, 20 people in the, the House Republican caucus that w- want to do this. So um, you have about till the summertime before it becomes an issue. Um, but it will become an issue and we'll decide whether we can nip it in the bud right away or we have to, you know, shoot until we see the whites of their eyes. 
<laughs> yeah. Government shutdown is more likely. And having been in the government, I can tell you just how annoying and awful that can be. Uh, but a government shutdown is uh, a different order of magnitude of risk and something that markets can shake off. But we think that uh, under normal circumstances, but we think that in the second half of the year, when uh, the recessionary conditions are the norm or in the U.S. or around the globe, uh, the spectacle of a government shutdown and the absolute lack of any sort of fiscal um, you know, wherewithal uh, and support and uh, and the Fed continuing to not deny support uh, creates the uh, the risk of this uh, of of what we see as that back half of the the storm that uh, that began to hit financial markets last year um, and uh, so we'll we'll stay tuned we'll enjoy the current uh, the current more pleasant uh, conditions in macro for uh, for the time being uh, but uh, but we're expecting to hunker down into second and third quarter of this year. Thanks for watching our, uh, our uh, 2023 Outlook. We're Markets Policy Partners. You can find us on the web at marketspolicy.com. Uh, we're on Twitter and uh, we're, on, we're on Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, looking forward to, uh, looking forward to uh, providing you with uh, market insights and policy insights uh, for the new year. 